So uh, we're, um, we're, we're in this series we're calling If This, Then That. And it's about the seasons of life. And the idea is this. If this is the season of life you're in, then that. Then th- th- there's some principles, some wisdom, some help from Scripture to help you through this particular season of life. And before we get into today's season, let me just make a very brief comment. Uh, we're in a, a season of political uncertainty at the moment in our nation. And that kind of, we feel that. And there are three things as Christians that we must do at this time. One of those is that we must continue to trust God with all of our hearts and not look at the political world around us. Not, that, that's very secondary. Actually, we trust God. We, we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And our certainty is actually in knowing God and relationship with him, which is never going to change. Here's the second thing that we do. We pray. We pray for those in government. Whether you voted for them, whether you like them, you pray for them because they're going to need all the wisdom and help they can get. And thirdly, uh, you're to use this opportunity that when everybody else is maybe having conversations saying, isn't this rubbish, isn't this uncertain, what's going to happen? That as a Christian, you say, hey, you know what? This is secondary for me because actually I have a confidence in God. And, and there'll be an opportunity for you this week, I reckon, if you take that approach, there'll be an opportunity for you to share your faith with somebody. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to do that if you're a Christian here today. So anyway, we're going to talk today about a season of life called the season of self-doubt. Okay, I, I don't know why I'm getting all these topics. I've got death and judgment, I've got loss, and now I've got self-doubt here today. So... We're going to be talking about this season. We, we did a survey um, asking people about this series, saying, what seasons of life are you most interested in hearing teaching about? And two-thirds of you, 65%, said this is a season of life that you'd like to hear some teaching about, the season of self-doubt. So with 65%, I feel like I have a cast-iron mandate to address this subject <laughs> this morning. And thank you for strengthening my hand in doing so. <laughs> Sorry, there we go. Uh, So, uh, you know, one of the most self-assured people who ever lived was a guy called the Apostle Paul. And before he became a Christian, this is his commentary on his life. He said, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's basically saying, I'm the man. He was a very self-confident, self-assured individual. Yet, do you know what? After he became a Christian, and then he, one time he was planting a church in Corinth. This was his confession in 1 Corinthians chapter three, 2, verse 3. He said, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Isn't that interesting that somebody who seems so self-assured could hit a period of his life where he feels like, I don't know about this. I don't feel it in myself. And I don't know about you today, you might be in a a period of self-doubt in your life. You might have come through a period and been working through that. You almost certainly will come into this season in your life, if you haven't done so already, where you'll ask questions like the Apostle Paul, and where where you'll think, I feel weak, I feel fearful, I feel anxious. In fact... It's often the way with great leaders. When that same apostle, when he addressed a younger leader by the name of Timothy, 
He said to him, For the spirit God gave us did not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. He said to this younger leader, Timothy, who clearly had this reputation for being a bit timid. He was timid, Tim. Don't be timid, Tim. That's what Paul's saying to him. Because timid, t- Timothy was being timid. And so Paul says to him, you need to work through this, Timothy. He didn't just say to him, you know what, Timothy, life's like that sometimes. What he's saying is, I felt like that way, but here's the answer. You need to grow through this season. You need to trust God to bring you through this season. And if you do, he will surely bring you through this season. This is a season that you will face. You'll find many of the great characters of Scripture. Not all of them, but many of them. Moses, Gideon, Timothy, Peter, came through these periods, these seasons. So I I remember for me as a, uh, I was trying to think of a season in my life, when when I graduated as an engineer, a civil engineer 20 years ago from Newcastle University, I remember sort of did that whole thing, got my result and I fist pumped the air, you know, it's like, yes, success. You ever done that? No, okay. Um, and I remember going the next day, I thought, that's it, I'm ready to take on the world. And I went into a recruitment agent with the attitude of just show me the money. And I took in my CV and I, I booked an appointment and I passed it across to him. It was about half a side of A4, mainly majoring in my huge exam successes and the fact that I could play the guitar and read books and those sorts of things that I thought an employer might be interested in at the time. And uh, I passed my CV to him, and he kind of, he looked at it, and he just sort of kind of turned over the page to see if there was anything else, and, and uh, he's pushed his chair back, and, and I'm not sure I can do a Geordie accent, but he said this, he said, he said well, the thing is done. The market is absolutely flooded with people like you. <laughs> that was terrible, sorry. Was that good, Marianne? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Don't give up the day job. Um, it, and I said, what do you mean people like me? I said, I'm unique, I'm special, I've got a degree. And he said, well, yeah, but what can you do? What's your skills? And I said, well, I, I can do Word, I can do Excel. At a push, I can do PowerPoint. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, but everybody can these days. What I need is skills. He said, to be honest, I'm going to give this back to you. I'm not going to even put it on file. He said, because I just can't see me phoning you to say, come and have an interview. And he said, I was gutted. I thought... Oh, is that it then? Three years of work trying to better my skill set, and somebody says, you, you haven't got anything. And I had to work through that season and think, you know what, I, I believe actually God's got more, and I need to believe enough in what God's already done in my life and what he will do to ensure that I get a job. And I took some time to pray and think and develop my skills, and then God wonderfully provided a job, which was wonderful. I'm going to look at five causes of self-doubt today and then five remedies. Okay, so we'll move fairly quickly through these things. Um, Five causes. Nature, nurture, failure, success, and comparison. There might be others, but that's the five that immediately came to my mind. Nature. Some of us are more like this than others naturally. Some of us, at every opportunity, doubt ourselves and have less self-confidence than others. Very generically, if you're female, you will do this more than if you're male. But some of us are more like that than others. And that's a, 
that's actually not a bad thing. Because with every weakness comes strength. And when God knit you together in your mother's womb, he actually put you together with a wonderful personality, which is a measure and a balance of various things. And here's one of the things. that If you're prone to self-doubt and lack of self-confidence, here's the wonderful thing I would venture about you, that you actually know yourself pretty well. That actually you know how to self-reflect that you're high on self-awareness. Whereas other people, they go through life and they don't know how they come across. And you, you watch them and you think, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. Because they're not self-aware. They don't self-reflect. Because they don't have that skill. But with that skill comes this tendency to self-doubt at times. Uh, my kids, um, all four of our kids, when we go to parents' evening, our kids are pretty bright. The teachers usually say to us, hey, your kids are doing well, the maths is good, all of these things. And we're like, yeah, great, that's wonderful. And then as the conversation draws to a close, without exception, every time, they say to us, there is just one thing that we'd say about your child. And we're like, Julia, I've had enough time. So we're like, yeah, okay, we know exactly what you're going to say here. I said, if they could just volunteer themselves a little more in class, if they could just put their hand up and answer the questions more, if they could just offer their opinions. And we, we, don't, we don't say this to the teachers. We're like, you know, I was exactly like that at school. I had to grow through that. That was a maturing thing. It didn't happen for me at primary school or high school. It happened to me later in life. God calls us to grow through the natural limitations of lacking self-confidence. Here's the second cause, nurture. That our upbringing profoundly affects our self-confidence. Negative past experiences can knock your confidence. In a room like this, there would be people who had negative experiences of role models in their lives who didn't offer the affirmation and support they so badly needed at a critical point in their life. And that, that's hurtful. That's damaging. Perhaps negative words were spoken over you. Wonderful thing about becoming a Christian, if you're not here today, is that the most affirming voice in the whole world, when you become a Christian, says, I love you, I delight in you, you're mine, I celebrate every success that you achieve. There's a God who loves you, a Father who, who takes great joy in your success and loves you when you fail. But you know, perhaps the, the opposite issue with that in nurture is this, that I think often middle class and, and wealthy parents... We're so keen these days that we don't offer any negative feedback to our children. We, we can go totally to the other extreme. When we say to our kids, you know what, if, if you work hard enough, you could be world famous. If you work hard enough, you could be president. If, you're, if, if you work hard enough, you could be one of these uh, TV stars. If you work hard enough, you could be a world famous musician. Then the trouble is that's not real either. And it's kind of self-perpetuating, because when you often see a famous rock star interviewed on the telly, they'll say, oh, gosh, my parents always said to me I could do this. And you think, that's great, because you're one in the million people who this actually happened for. Of course, we should encourage our children, but the last thing we want is for them to then get into their mid-twenties and thirties and feel like, gosh, I was meant to be a millionaire by now. I failed. No, the best encouragement is to, to, for someone to become the person that God's made them to be. And God's made us all for different things. 
nature, nurture, failure. This is a, a, a biggie. When we hit trouble that we can't solve, a situation that we don't have an answer for, perhaps a marriage that is going wrong, or a relationship that breaks down, or a job that you lose, or a parenting situation where you make an epic fail, or perhaps a temptation that you have caved into again. How does that make you feel? Here's a feeling that often comes, like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can carry on. We question ourselves, and there's a right questioning there. But we wonder, will I ever succeed? The opposite of failure is success. And interestingly, just as many successful people struggle with self-doubt and self-confidence as people who fail. When we hit the top, when we do that thing that we'd never dreamed we'd been able to do, and we do it so well, and we get the praise of people, and they say, wow, that was amazing. Could you do it again? And that thought comes, I'm not sure that I can. The famous actor Meryl Streep, who, had, who was nominated for 20 Academy Awards, 30 Golden Globes, very, very highly acclaimed actor of our generation. And she said this, I often think, why would anybody want to see me in a movie? And I don't know how to act anyway. So why am I doing this? Isn't that amazing? But that's true. When we succeed at something, it often puts the pressure on to think, we, we can't do this again. Chris Martin of Coldplay, he admits, he says, when I'm on a stage, I know without a shadow of doubt that Coldplay, Coldplay is the best band in the whole world for 90 minutes. He then says, in other periods, he says, I, I face paranoia and insecurity. This is the cycle of life that we face, success, failure, Nature, nurture. American writer and civil rights activist, Maya Angelou, who wrote dozens of books of poetry, totally world famous, she said this, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Don't assume that one day life will sort this situation out for you, that one day I will never doubt myself if I just succeed enough. That isn't the answer. Neither is the fifth cause, which is comparison. And that is that when we look at our peers and we see that they're doing better or achieving more or coping better or we perceive they are, when their Facebook statuses reflect that they're doing better than we are, We compare ourselves and we begin to wonder, we begin to doubt. We thought, well, we had all the same experiences. How come they're doing better than me? And it tends to make us look inwards and doubt ourselves. Sometimes the comparison you can make is with a previous version of you. That's true if if you've succeeded and, and had a job where you could be totally committed, then perhaps you had a career break for illness or to have children, and then you go back into your career, and what happens? You feel, gosh, this is difficult. This is difficult. I used to have such focus and drive and passion, and I was doing it 40 hours a week, and now I'm kind of doing it a couple of days a week, and, and I'm checking my phone between 
things to check if the nursery is calling about my kids, and it can cause you to, to doubt the gifts that God has given you. So there's five causes. There's probably others. Nature, nurture, failure, success, comparison. Some of the best-known characters of Scripture face these issues. And it seems to me we have a choice of how we react to self-doubt. We, we can be dictated by them. We can close our world down and say, well, that defines me. If this is what I think of myself, then this is what I will be. It's not a great way to live your life. Start the music, begin the pity party. Allow yourself to be defined in that way. Here's the second thing. We can ignore our doubts. We can, we, we can just say, you know, if I just push them far enough into the corner of the room, then, then they'll hopefully go away. And the trouble is they don't. They just get bigger and bigger. A bit like uh, when Thomas was doubting the resurrection of Jesus. He, uh, he, you know, the others kept saying to him, he said, no, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And then, and then the more he doesn't believe it, the more he kind of reinforces it. He said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see him and I put my hands in his hands and I put my, my, my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe it. And Jesus deals with him graciously in his doubt and he deals with you graciously in your doubt. But we mustn't ignore our doubts Here's a third thing we could do. We, we could lie to our doubts. We could just pretend. If we just come up with our mantras and say, you're better than this. You can do anything. If we just kind of rehearse those things, we can pretend that maybe they're not real. But I think the right way to deal with the season of self-doubt is this. To speak the truth to our doubts and to act in that truth. So here are the five things that... I'd like you to take you through this season of self-doubt, either as you're going through it or when you come into it. And the first of these we're going to see in, Mo- in, in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read the story of Moses. And here's the first point. You have an identity in God. You have an identity in God that is to be held on to. Uh, Moses was a failed revolutionary, had lived in exile for 40 years. And then we pick up the story in Exodus 3. It says, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 10, so now go, God says to him, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Isn't it interesting? In this episode, you find Moses. He's full of comparison to others. He doesn't think he's articulate enough. He has quite a good upbringing. He's been brought up in the palace of Pharaoh. But he feels lacking in confidence in this episode. He's also got a history of failure where he tried to start a revolution and it went wrong. 
But God comes to him. God comes to him and God calls him. The first words God says to this failure of a man is to call him by name. And you know, that's the best kind of assurance you can have is when the God of heaven speaks to you and calls your name. And that's what he does to you. But it's interesting, isn't it, that when God calls him Moses, Moses replies back to God, who am I? It's a bit of a game, isn't it? God says, well, you're Moses. And Moses says, who am I? You think, well, this is a crazy kind of thing. God's saying to him, Moses, I know who you are and I know everything about you. But we're having this conversation because I believe something different about you. And I believe that you're actually going to see great success in leading the people out of Egypt if you rely on me. Moses' response was one of failing to grasp that identity. Failing to grasp he was God's prophet for that time. And he he says, well, who am I? Who am I, Lord? Do you know there's nothing godly about just walking through life saying, oh, who am I? Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. That can kind of sound spiritual, but it's absolute nonsense. God called Moses. Sure, he was a nobody before God met him. But God got hold of him. And when God gets hold of your life, and anybody who's a Christian, God's getting hold of your life. He's saying, I've got a purpose and I've got a plan for you. I've got an identity for you. And do you know where this confidence comes from? It comes from a God whose name is I am who I am. Isn't that a great name? Aren't you glad that we don't worship a God who says, well, maybe. What's your name, God? Well, maybe. Maybe I can make a difference in the world. No, his name is I am. He's the most self-assured God you will ever worship. God's totally comfortable. He always has been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in together in eternity. Never doubting one another. Never questioning one another. Never feeling inferior to one another. And do you know, when that God begins to impact your life, it fills you with a wonderful, God-given confidence. That's not to say that we're like God. It's not to say that we're perfect. But the Bible does say that we're image bearers of God. Isn't that right? And if you're an image bearer of God, it means this, that you'll reflect him in his confidence as well as other things about him. So the more you mature as a Christian, the more you become confident in who God has made you. And you say, yeah, I can make a difference in this situation. I can change this situation because I know who I am. Who are you if you're a Christian? Well, the Bible says that you are a child of God. You're a son or a daughter of God. That's your primary identity now. It's more important that the name your parents gave you is the name that God has given you, the identity that God has given you. You're an ambassador of Christ. And God gives you his authority. When God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, and he said to Adam, name the animals. It's fascinating. Adam didn't have to keep checking back with God all the time. Adam didn't have to go back to God and say, well, I called it a zebra, but I wasn't so sure. What do you think, God? What would you call it? No, no, God said, you name the animals. You name it. Your confidence comes from knowing God's identity and the purpose for which God has called you. Children reflect their father and their mother. But it, it, I was hearing a story of um, uh, David Libby's one of the kids, Nathan, 
And uh, I think Dave was away from the West Lothian church plant last Sunday. And somebody said, Nathan was just there in his stead the whole way. Nathan is, what, four years old? Something like that. And uh, <laughs> how old is he? Oh, five. Okay, there you go. And uh, so uh, if you know Dave, he's often on the door. He's often making things happen. He's often at the front of the meeting, kind of checking things out, looking around, you know, all, all of that. You see Nathan, apparently last Sunday. Dave's away, but he's standing on the door. <laughs> he's welcoming people. As, as the meeting starts, he, he's kind of doing his dad thing, of kind of looking around the room, checking everybody's doing all right, you know, checking the, if there's visitors coming, is there chairs for them to sit? He's doing all of this. And uh, Anne said to me, he said, and the sweetest thing of all was, you know, because Dave would often sit on the front row, but when, when Nathan came, there was no seats left on the front row. So he grabbed a chair, and he pulled it up, and he sat on the front row. Because <laughs> parents want to be like their dads or their mums. And... You know, God has called you to be like him and to reflect his confidence as you mature in him. Okay, so that's the first thing to take through a season of self-doubt, your identity in God. Secondly, this, that you are influential. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So here was Paul's self-identity. Now he says, well, I'm a follower of Jesus And therefore, what I'm encouraging you to do, anybody who knows me, follow me because I'm following him. He said to his prodigy, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know, there's always a because as to why we disqualify ourselves and why we question ourselves. For, for Timothy, it was this, that, that everybody was saying, oh, he's a bit young. He's a bit young, and he was letting it get to him. So Paul says to him, don't let people get to you. Don't let that narrative define your life. And he says, this is how you don't let it get to you. He doesn't just say, don't let it happen. He says, this is how you get through that one. So listen up, if this is your thing, where, where you disqualify yourself if you're too young, too old, too inexperienced, too pretty, too plain, too uneducated, too uneducated, or even if your worst critic is yourself, this is how you get through it. You be an example for people. So even when you're doubting your worth in this situation, You do it with the dignity of setting an example for everybody and showing them how you work through a period of self-doubt in your life by just carrying on anyway. So Paul says, do it. Set an example for the believers in word, in action, in relationships, in faith. Show them what it looks like. People are much more interested in following you and seeing how you respond when things are going terribly in your life. Isn't that right? Hasn't politics got a whole lot more interesting in the last three days? You think, Gosh, people are doing terribly now. This is going to be interesting to watch. How do they respond? How do they respond is the all-important question. And you find that if you perpetuate self-doubt and you just keep asking yourself questions rather than doing and working it out, then it begins to define you. You'll find a number of characters in Scripture, Gideon in Judges 6, You find him uh, hiding from his enemies because they want to steal his stuff. And he's hiding in a wine press, trying to grind a bit of of grain. And what you find is self-doubt turns you inward. 
It gives you a survivalist mentality rather than a world-changing mentality. You think, I'm just going to batten down the hatches and I'm just going to carry on here. And it doesn't... You begin to achieve less and less in the world and adding value to the world. And this is Gideon's comment when God speaks to him and says, a bit like he did to Moses, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. First thing God does, he says, I've got a plan here, Gideon, and it's you. This is... Gideon's faithless response. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Manasseh wasn't even a tribe of Israel. It was a half-tribe. Here's what he's saying. He says, well, I'm not even a tribe. I'm a half-tribe, and my clan is the weakest of that tribe. My family is the weakest of that, that, that clan, and I'm, I'm the youngest. I'm the weakest of that family. What he's saying is this. I, I won't believe this God. And God has to work with him, and God works with you through your doubts as well. Because he's going to become a great influencer for Israel. Jeremiah was a great prophet. And he says, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Sarah, married to Abraham, when she heard the news that she was going to have a baby in old age, It says, so Sarah laughed to herself. It was a self-deprecating laugh. As she thought, after I am worn out and Abraham is old, will I now have this pleasure? And what God has to do to show you that you're an influential person is this. He needs to get hold of you and fill you with his spirit and show you that with God all things are possible. Here's the third thing. Lesson to take you. You have an identity in God. You're influential. Thirdly, you're inadequate. There's no point in building our confidence on fantasy. And so while this might not sound terribly encouraging for you if you're going through a season of self-doubt, here's a critical lesson to learn. You're inadequate. You haven't got it all. You haven't got all the gifts you need. There's a genuine truth that you and I can't meet of all of life's needs and challenges. And do you know what the effect of that is meant to be? It's to make us rely on God. And to rely on his Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. That's not to say that we don't grow in competence in things in life, but none of us are perfect. So therefore, there's always a sense in which we need to look to God and say, Gosh, I don't have all of this, therefore I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit to help me. When we face a challenge, it's our reminder to rely on God. He designed you for that. And you will face challenges that you feel inadequate for. Staying married to somebody that you find really difficult. Loving a child that you find challenging. Finding grace to serve other people when you have no joy in doing so. The Bible says in such situations, in your weakness, he is made strong. And that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is what happens when you realize you're inadequate and you call out to God that other people see the grace of God at work in your life. Here's the fourth lesson to take through a season of self-doubt, is to know that you are invested with gifts from a good God. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Where The guy who only got one talent. One got three, one got two, one got one. And the guy with one thought, well, I've only got one. What's the point? 
And rather than investing his talent, rather than doing something good with it to produce something good for his master when he returned, he thought, you know what, I'm just going to do nothing here. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul said, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Here's what we have to do with the gifts God has given you. And the Bible says that God has gifted you. If anybody's a Christian here, God has gifted you. If you're a human being here today, God has gifted you. And you may not know what those gifts are clearly, but you're to know that you are gifted and to explore what those gifts are and then to use them. 2 Timothy 4 says, do not neglect your gift. Therefore, you have to keep using it. When self-doubting, I can end up seeing other people with a gift and then feeling like I need to copy them and be like them in order to succeed. And that's the worst thing you can do. You need to fan into the flame the gift in your life. When in a season of self-doubt, you can find yourself withdrawing, bringing your gifts in, saying, well, I'm not going to use these right now because I feel a bit vulnerable. But each of us, according to 1 Peter 4, should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know, when you use your gifts, the result is blessing for other people. You know, the thing that can often pull you out of a trough of self-doubt is this. It's when you begin to use your gifts, and then you begin to see God using you. And you think, I've got some purpose here. I'm actually blessing people. When you begin to come to that realization that, actually, if I don't play my part, then things don't get done. And believe me, that is always going to be the case. That if you don't use your gifts then something somewhere, some need isn't going to be met. Some person isn't going to be encouraged. So always pursue your gifts, and they are the very things that will help you understand the place that you have. Sometimes there's a realistic evaluation of stopping using gifts that you don't have. Always do that in conversation with somebody else who loves you and, and you trust their opinion. Say, look, is this, is this really my thing? And they can be honest and they say, well, maybe that's not your thing, but this is and this is and this is. If I'm honest, if you're asking the question, what are my gifts, then in my experience, most of the gifts I've discovered, I've kind of discovered them just through volunteering for an opportunity that needed doing. And I just did something, and I kept doing it, and then somebody said, oh, you know what, you're quite good at that. It's unusual, I think, for God to say, this is your thing, and then for you to just have a free reign to then do it from there. Usually responding to where there's need is where you begin. Last point. So you've got an identity in God, you're influential, you're inadequate, you're invested with gifts. Last thing to remember, that you're incomplete, that you're not yet a finished work. Paul said, I am confident in God. He said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4 says, be diligent in these matters, giving yourself wholly to them, Timothy, so that everyone may see your progress. Isn't that a fascinating verse? That Paul doesn't say, Timothy, the good news is, Timothy, the reason I've sent you to Ephesus is because I think you're the finished article that is exactly what they need. He says, 
No, he says, I think they're going to see you grow, Timothy. I think you're going to make some epic fails. And in that process, people are going to say, well, he's better than he was a year ago. That doesn't sound terribly encouraging, does it? You know, when, when you, you've preached your heart out and somebody shakes your hand on the door and says, well, it's better than last time. <laughs> when you've done your best, you think, well, no, encouragement, we, we expect people to say, that was amazing, that was good. But actually, true encouragement is to understand this, that God's at work in me. And until the day of Christ Jesus, when I'll be perfected, then he'll be at work in me. And it's important that we're vulnerable because our gifts are there to bless other people. Therefore, if you're going to bless other people, you're going to have to do it in front of people. And there'll be times when you do that better than others. Everything we good do that is worthwhile in life is uphill. If you're going to grow in life, it means falling in front of other people. Get used to that. You don't need to present yourself as perfect, and it's better if you don't. Here's the final scripture I want to share with you this morning. It's this, if you're going through a period of self-doubt right now in your life where you're asking so many questions of yourself and you can't see where your life is going, here's a scripture I want to give you. It's a truth, it's a promise. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. He can do more than any of your human limitations. Read this book cover to cover, and you won't find anybody here who was worthy of the results that they achieved, because God did amazing things through them. Let me speak to you self-doubters today and say, you need to believe in God. You need to trust him. You need to ask him for his help because he does the impossible. He does immeasurably more. Sarah was too old to have a baby. Tim was too timid to be a church leader. Moses was just a stuttering failure, but he became the mouthpiece of God. Jeremiah was a self-doubting child who became a mighty prophet that even in his old age, nobody listened to him, but he was confident anyway. And if God can do that with them, then I know his power is at work in you as well today. So we are going to respond right now to God. Uh, We don't have time for a final song, but why don't we just pray together. And I just want us to, to bring this before God right now. You know where you're at. So let's just pray. And if this is you in your life right now, I want you to confess this to God. Where you've allowed things to define you, I want you to begin to push that off and to say, no, I'm not going to be defined by what I say about myself. I'm going to be defined by the possibilities that God says of me. For some of you, the fear of failure is too high and it stopped you from moving forward. I think some of you need to just repent from that perfectionist attitude. Say, God, make me happy to make me happier to fail in front of people. That others might see my progress. 
For some of you, it's this issue of identity. Knowing that you have a good father who delights in you. And that audience of one is worth more than an applauding audience of thousands. So Lord, I want to thank you that through you all things are possible. And Lord, I want to pray for those in this season, in this valley right now. I want to pray that you'd enable them to triumph and to come through, to be the people that you've made them to be, to find their assurance in you, to find their confidence in you. Lord, I pray give them courage for this season. If anybody who doesn't know you here yet today, Lord, I want to pray that they would reach out to you right now. Amen.